One thing that I've noticed that really troubles me is a black employee basically has to be a unicorn sometimes to get through the door. You have um, employees of other races, particularly white employees, that sometimes um, get through the door having uh, meeting the minimum qualifications, while the black employee has to meet go above and beyond. My name is Akinio Cheng. I'm a writer and marketer working in the tech and financial services industries and based in New York City. Okay, so uh, Kenya, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I mean, obviously, the reason why we are having this conversation is because of uh, this amazing piece, which you just published on Medium, uh, towards an anti-racist workplace, tools and strategies to support black employees. And one thing that really stood out for me is actually at the very beginning of the article, um, you say that it is clearer than ever that companies must become the change they tweet and hashtag about. What do you mean by that? I have seen what I think is a gap between um, rhetoric and action when it comes to companies. Um, I am very fortunate to have friends who've worked across you know, every spectrum of the American business landscape. And um, so I know firsthand the hypocrisy of many of these companies. Um, you know, uh, a, a very large um, tech company that, that I won't name, um, uh, for example, sis, um, systematically underleveled, underpaid. Um, one of my dearest friends, um, she was, her personal details were leaked online by a fellow employee um, when she was doing really important work on behalf of the company um, on public policy front. And, um, you know, that employee um, was not fun punished sufficiently for the level of damage that he caused to her life. Um, yet that company was posting Black Lives Matter, um, social media campaigns, etc. Um, I have had friends who have been um, uh, uh, harassed, um, who have been um, disrespected continuously. And so it just seems very odd to me to see um, this outpouring of Black Lives Matter in, in theory, but not have that applied in practice. And so I wanted to point out that tension. Kind of just related to that, you talked about that organizations that commit to kind of understanding this moment must adopt what you call a philosophy of anti-racism. Can you just unpick that, what that is? So I think that most people in the U.S. Um, are non-racist, meaning that um, they don't actively have malice, um, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily committed to um, navigating the bigger structural issues that contribute to racism in the US. And the American brand of racism is a really um, deep-seated, disturbing one. And so if we're going to really um, use this moment and push towards big systemic transformational change, we have to move from being non-racist to being anti-racist. So that means we have to identify that racism, we have to change systems, we have to redistribute power and share power. Um, I, I think it, in a way, it's, it's really that we have to give, we have to give up something uh, collectively so that things can be shared um, effectively. So one of the things that, you know, just going back to, uh, the first question then, you're talking about the experience your friends, uh, your friend heard. So some of the companies, I mean, this has all been reported uh, all over. You know, you always find a company A has some sort of like a racist incident. And the next thing you hear is that obviously apologizing, 
but then promising that they will have all their staff go through some kind of sensitization and bias uh, trainings. I mean, what, what do you make of that in just in the context of what you're going through? I don't think that the bias trainings are enough. I think that um, organizations really have to adopt a anti-racist policy, that there are consequences for behavior, these behaviors. And I think when we lean on the trainings, it is a tick-tock exercise. Um, you know, you do the training and suddenly your biases disappear, suddenly you're more conscious and you can fix it. When in reality, um, in particular, when it comes to the, the implicit bias trainings that have become really popular in the States recently, um, there is a there's a lot of research to suggest that um, those trainings are really being misapplied. Um, a lot of the times you'll find that in when you say, okay, I, I have an implicit bias, it means that an individual doesn't take responsibility for their role in perpetuating that discrimination. And it also makes it easier for an organization to say that, oh, they, that person is not completely responsible. Um, you know, there's this hidden thing at the back of their mind that is, um, that is causing this. And we're going to work on that. We're going to address that. When um, in reality, a lot of the times it is very conscious, that behavior. I mean, there are kind of two reactions. One is you find that companies uh, and organizations which are not diverse kind of saying that, you know, we are going to do better. But there are some other companies which are already diverse and suddenly they find themselves in this moment and find that actually they've been falling short despite the, you know, kind of the outward look. They look like they're diverse, but but, but not really in terms of the opportunities given to uh, to black employees. But one thing that you said, which I kind of wanted to to hear you expound about, is that it's not just enough to hire black employees. We talk about getting people in the door, but we don't talk about how do we keep them there? How do we nurture and contribute to their success? Um, I was talking to someone yesterday about um, the phenomenon. People keep saying, oh, you know, black women are, are entrepreneurs at higher rates than, um, than other groups. When what I think might, I suspect might really be happening is that black women leave these corporate settings because it is unbearable to deal with the level of disrespect and discrimination. And that's why you see entrepreneurs. I think that people come through the door, but they don't stay because the environment is not, um, is toxic often. Um, and so I think that empl employers cannot focus just on how do we attract those candidates, but how do we support them? And um, I think that it, there's a number of ways that you can, you can do that. Um, but firstly, it's making sure that people are paid adequately that they have growth opportunities. There's this, there's this um, really interesting piece I read recently about um, the phenomenon of going from pet to threat. You know, you love that you have this diverse um, employee, um, you know, and, and what that he or she brings to the table. But as soon as that person begins to challenge the system and question, they suddenly become a threat. And then um, their progress is impeded. So, that that phenomenon also speaks to why we have a retention problem. Um, and I think that that actually needs to become a big focus and something that companies are measuring. How Not only how many Black employees are we bringing through the door, but how many are staying? Interesting. I mean, one of the things that you also raised was... Uh, you know, giving employees performance uh, evaluations. And, and that's fairly standard, but I just wanted you to kind of tell me why why that is important? Yes, I think it's because um, coded language is really easy to associate with um, with black employees. 
um, because we live in a society in which we're bombarded with certain narratives, certain images, et cetera, um, is it that I am aggressive or you really, what you really mean to say is that I'm direct? Um, is it that I am angry or is it that I am passionate, right? And so I think that um, we should be conscious of one, how those terms can be misinterpreted and impede someone from rising, the, rising through the ranks, but also for, for, um, for managers making those evaluations to know exact, to really take to heart the meaning of the words that they're using and recognize that those words have power and they shape someone's career. Um, and so I think um, we can't act as if the work has been done. There's still progress to be made. And, you know, we've seen and heard from companies, uh, you know, complain probably privately by saying that, you know, we, we want to have a diverse staff, but we just don't know where to get them from, you know. So, I mean, what, what, you know, you obviously address that in your article. So what are kind of the places and uh, where people should be looking at and how do companies deal with that kind of, dilemma, if it is a dilemma at all? I really think it's a false dilemma. Um, I do not believe that um, there aren't talented um, Black employees. I know many of them. Um, I think the challenge is, one, uh, not speaking to people from those communities and asking them um, uh, about the perspective of, you know, where, where can I source if I'm looking for an accountant or an engineer or a lawyer. There are plenty of organizations, professional organizations that, that cater to minorities in those communities, particularly Black employees. But beyond that even, one thing that I've noticed that really troubles me is a Black employee basically has to be a unicorn sometimes to get through the door. You have um, employees of other races, but particularly white employees, that sometimes um, get through the door having uh, meeting the minimum qualifications while the black employee has to meet, go above and beyond. And I recognize even in myself that I'm privileged because I, I attended an Ivy League university, went to London School of Economics for my, for my graduate studies, but I have many friends who didn't, have, who didn't go to you know, the fanciest university who are just as qualified as I am, but they cannot, for a white colleague of similar background, that white colleague gets through the door and my black colleague um, and my black colleague from that background does not. And I think we have to talk about that, that, that you, you shouldn't have to be twice as good. Mm. And once we move past that demand that the black employee be twice as good, once we ask people where, from those communities, where to look for that talent, you begin to find all those missing, um, that, that missing talent that, um, that, and solve that false dilemma. That exists. But but even as you say that you know black employees are pretty much being expected to be unicorns you know uh, exceptional over overachievers, the fact that even those who uh, are employed and are lucky enough to get a job, it's not easy for them, is it? Because as as you say, with a uh, you know you told me about your friend, it isn't, and I think that um, we cannot make assumptions that about. Uh, about the common understanding employees have in the workplace about what is and what isn't tolerated. I think it has to be made very explicit, the kind of behaviors, the kind of um, language um, that is unacceptable. But I also think that part of this problem arises from the fact that there aren't a lot of Black people in senior leadership. And I think that if we move the needle in that way, that also might address um, and create that zero tolerance at the lower levels. And, you know, we've kind of talked about, you know, what companies can do, but, you know, this is, this is such a powerful moment. I mean, I'm just curious what advice you'll, you'll have um, or just comments uh, um, to black employees, especially who are in this 
organizations which are kind of publicly uh, you know saying that they're struggling with you know making their companies uh, safe and also places where black employees can progress. So what, what do you think they should be doing at this moment? My advice to black employees right now, there are so many people who are opening those closed doors and networks. I mean, I have seen so many lists going around of um, the CEO of this company or chief operating officer of this company or executive director of that nonprofit who want to share their expertise and actually open their network to black employees who might not otherwise have access to that knowledge um, and, and those connections. Um, I think that this is also the moment where if you're gonna ask for something, you should ask for it now. And I mean that in the sense of, you know, if there, if there are issues within your company that um, you find that black employees are more likely to, um, to face, you know, this is your time to ask for trainings, to ask for resources. If you feel that there are systemic issues internally to bring those up and raise them, and so we've been, I, I have been having a lot of conversations with not only internally in my own company, but with, um, with friends, with, uh, with family on, you know, how are we advocating for, um, for things in the future? I certainly want to leave the workplace better for those who came after me. I don't think that many people should have to deal with things that I have gone through personally. So that is my interest, very selfishly, you could even say, um, that I want to make this better. That's, that's amazing. And, you know, one, one thing that I was thinking about, you know, as I prepared to speak to you today is, you know, what Al Sharpton said at the um, uh, George Floyd's memorial. Uh, a word that just stuck with me is, you know, we don't, we're not asking for a favor, uh, essentially just saying we're asking for fairness. And that's also something that you kind of addressed in, in your piece. I don't know whether you just want to kind of talk a little bit about, about that. Yeah, I think that is really it. It's we're not asking to be treated uh, specially. We're not asking for you to, um, for you and this, you being the system, right? We're not asking for these systems, these structures to um, give people things that, that they don't deserve or don't merit. But what we're asking for is to be treated like everyone else and for just basic respect. Um, and I think instead of, people saying no, um, closing doors. I think what we're asking fundamentally, um, people in positions of power and um, who happen to be predominantly white is to dream a little bit about the world that they could have a role in creating. It's really because ra racism is systemic, but racism is also interpersonal. Um, so to the extent that everyone takes ownership in their own life of not allowing um, certain, certain systems, certain behaviors, certain uh, the status quo to be perpetuated. That's how we move forward. And, to rec and I think it's about recognizing this is, this is a marathon, it's not a sprint. We're not gonna fix racism in 30 days. You know, there's probably a guide circulating somewhere of, you know, <laughs> of how we can do that. And that's why I even frame this piece as towards an anti-racist work workplace. It is, it is, um, mm. It's a journey. It's not um, something that will happen overnight. Are you optimistic? I am cautiously optimistic. I see people who, quite frankly, I uh, would have been shocked to see speak out, speaking out. Um, I, I was looking the other day at, um, at uh, images of a protest in Greenwich, Connecticut, which is one of the wealthiest, whitest towns in the US, where people were going down the main street protesting, asking for justice for Brianna Taylor, um, a, a black woman who was murdered in the States. 
I was just so moved by that. Um, not only because it is uncomfortable, you know, it, in the in the video, it was people were having brunch on either side of the road, and and the protesters were moving through. Um, but also calling attention to, I mean, the police brutality is bigger, but even within issues big, but even within that, there's the issue of violence against black women, which is under addressed. And to see that movement, see that dialogue and see that willingness to learn that I think we've never really had on this level since probably, probably the civil rights era. And so I'm excited, but I am cautiously optimistic. That was Akini Achieng. And check out her article on Medium. It's titled towards an anti-racist workplace, tools and strategies to support black employees. You can now download my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Teacher, if you have an Android phone, and it's also on Spotify and SoundCloud. Just search for my name, Dickens Olewe. And of course, leave a rating when you find it. If you have any questions or comments, I'm always on Twitter. My handle is at Dickens Olewe. And as always, thank you so much for listening and for your comments. And until next time, bye-bye.